Hello and welcome to the DanceCast, where I explore dance as an art form, traveling to non-traditional places and with non-traditional doers. I'm your host and my name is Silva Lakkanen. Hey, so I'm I'm uh, on your podcast. This feels great. You uh, are. Yeah, I'm not here to talk about dance. I'm I'm here to ask uh, some questions because I've seen you working so hard on your podcast lately, and uh, I know you've got a lot of changes that are really exciting. Uh, that you I don't know share. if you can call them a lot of changes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe. <laughs> well, you've been you've been, you're going to be rolling out some stuff. That's uh... yeah, and you know what the one stuff is that I have now an email address, and it's dancecast with Silva. So D A N C E C A S T W I T H S I L V A. Wow, that's really long. Yeah. At gmail.com. Well, you're a much better speller than I am. I had to close my eyes. Oh, well. In order to spell that. Thank you. So if you have any suggestions who should be my guest, who is doing interesting work in the field, Uh, please email me and introduce them. Or if you are that person, I would love to hear from you. Also, if you have any feedback that you would like to share with me, I am ready to take it. <laughs> so, But I have also a new episode. You do? Mm-hmm. All right. What kind, of, what kind of episode is it? So, you know, I interviewed Adam Benjamin last time. Um, and I interviewed another Adam. One in UK and one in US. Adam McKinney was my guest this week. So can you say you know him from Adam? I don't know what that means. Um, well, it's it's an attempt at a pun. Uh, so, it, you know, like uh, Adam was supposedly the very first man. And so you say, if I don't know someone from Adam, then it means you don't, you like all of their ancestors, all of the thing, you've never met anyone. That means you really couldn't possibly know this person at all. Huh, that's so funny because Adam... That's the same. They say, we don't know... You say, hey, do you know this person? You say, I don't know them from Adam. Ha! Huh, that's uh, so funny because Adam McKinney works a lot with his ancestry. Really? Yeah. So let me tell you a little bit about, a little bit more about Adam McKinney. He's a co-director of DNA Works and he's a classically trained dancer and former member of the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater, Bajard Ballet Lausanne, Alonzo King's Lines Ballet, Cedar Lake Contemporary Ballet, and Milwaukee Ballet Company. Adam has led dance work across the U.S. and in Canada, England, Ghana, Hungary, Indonesia, Israel, Italy, Mexico, Palestine, Serbia, Spain, and South Africa. He served as a U.S. Embassy Culture Connect Envoy to South Africa through the U.S. State Department in Cape Town, Pretoria, and Johannesburg. I was named one of the most influential African Americans in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, by Saint Vincent de Paul. The focus of Adams' dance work engages historical perspectives of culture and identity, social justice, mixed abilities, mixed media, including the use of innovative technolo- technology, technological elements, and the aesthetics of liberation. Adams' awards include career transition for dancers' grants. NYU President Service Award for his work with the Lower East Side Harm Reduction Center, a Jerome Foundation Travel and Study Grant, and Galatine Jewish Arts Grants for work with Ethiopian communities in Israel. 
at the Pronfman Jewish Artist Fellowship for DNA Works, Genealogical Dance Work, Hamapa, The Map. Adam was a recipient of the National Artist Teacher Fellowship for DNA Works, The Borders Project, and was named a prestigious School of American Ballet National Teaching Fellow in 2015. An, opp an opportunity to engage in national conversation about diversity in classical ballet. His article, Dance and Social Justice, is published on HowlRound.com. Adam served as the inaugural chair of the dance department at the New Mexico School for the Arts in Santa Fe for six years and is currently an assistant professor of dance at Texas Christian University in Fort Worth, Texas. Adam holds an MA in Dance Studies with concentrations in Race and Trauma Theories. All right. Would you like to hear the episode? Let's hear it. Well, Adam, welcome to DanceCast. Thank you. I'm so honored to be here. What an honor to have you. And what a, what a jigsaw puzzle to get us actually together. When did you start dancing? Or how or why or... What happened? Yeah. Um, I took my first formal ballet class when I was 17 years old. And I was an athlete. My father was a football player. Uh, and he ensured that me and my brothers in particular were involved in sports for, oh, from aged five to 17 organized sports. And so I had a sense of coordination uh, and timing. I was also a musician. I was a singer and a piano player. So dance seemed to be this wonderful culmination of uh, musicality and uh, aestheticism and athleticism. Um, <laughs> For example, I knew what a Chenet turn was and I knew what a grand jeté was. And so when I took my first ballet class and the Grand Allegro class was a series of Chenet turns and then a grand jeté, I already felt like I knew what that was in my body. And so dance felt like uh, just this natural way of being uh, in the world. And so I started formally training when I was 17 and then got my BFA at Butler University in dance performance um, and then danced with some really great companies <laughs> and then did my master's work at New York University uh, in 2010. And did you dance with Alvin Ailey between your BFA and master's or when was that? Mm -hmm. I danced with a number of companies in between my BFA and my master's, then being Milwaukee Ballet Company, uh, Cedar Lake Ensemble, which was uh, kind of the precursor to Cedar Lake Contemporary Ballet, uh, Alonzo King Lines Ballet, Bejar Ballet Lausanne, and I finished my full-time performance career in that way uh, with the Ailey Company. I see. So what made you want to go back to school? I knew that I wanted to uh, engage dance, and I knew that I wanted to engage uh, minds, minds, and <laughs> I felt getting my master's degree uh, would allow me entrance into uh, public education and higher education. 
uh, and so it felt like the perfect way to do that. And it, it, it actually uh, provided me those opportunities to, to get into education in this way. I see. And you're a concentration in race and, race and trauma theories. Tell me more about that. How did that then came along? Sure. Um, so I've always been interested in this idea of social justice uh, as an artist uh, and as a mixed heritage person. Interested in methodologies of anti-racism, mm. uh, even prior to being a dancer. As a young person, I just remember those ideas there be being very present in my life and in my family's lives. Um, so this idea of race and trauma uh, felt like a, a natural progression of what I had already been thinking about uh, in my life. Um, my master's work was a, was a project thesis at the Gallatin School for Individualized Study at New York University, uh, whereby I created a curriculum, a dance curriculum, at the Lower East Side Harm Reduction Center uh, in New York City. Uh, and it was really looking at how can dance be used as a way of uh, community building and as a way of kind of um, therapy, without it being dance therapy, really looking at it from an artistic lens for people who struggle with heroin addiction. Oh, wow. And looking at heroin addiction as a byproduct or as a numbing mechanism to deal with uh, racism uh, in particular. And then looking at the implications and the physical manifestations of racism on the body and how can dance be a lens through which we engage that notion and as a uh, as a way to kind of debunk or heal, in effect, um, the effects of racism. That's really interesting. Um, as I heard this week um, on NPR, you know, my famous line I heard on NPR, that they are now starting to do on people who um, die on opioid overdose, not only like a biopsy, but also like a social biopsy. And I feel like this was almost like a pre-social biopsy before you actually go to that overdose bath. That sounds really interesting. Mm. It was interesting, and it's still something I'm thinking about and, and I use in my work with groups, even if they don't, uh, necessarily struggle with uh, heroin addiction, um, how do we all struggle with the effects of an oppressive system? And how can dance kind of interrupt the ways in which we've been separated as people? And how can it be used to bring people closer together? Um, because I think trauma in its various forms, uh, we all have experiences of by living in an oppressive system and culture. Um, so it's something that I continue to think about and theorize about, and I don't know that I necessarily have any answers, but I think dance allows me an entrance, a particular embodied entrance into that conversation. Yeah. Is that how the DNA works then also got started through this interest? 
Yeah, certainly in in terms of my interest in uh, arts and social justice. Yeah, yeah. I found works with my husband Daniel Banks in 2006 as an arts and healing uh, organization. Um, I uh, initially and ideally it was a way to kind of break apart and investigate notions of mixed heritage because uh, dancing in companies. I never truly had an opportunity to uh, look at and bring to the forefront experiences of being mixed heritage. For example, um, in a dance company that I danced in, it explored the African-American experience. And to identify all African-Americans as being one way, in effect, was um, re-oppressing. that all people have one experience um, doesn't allow for the sense of diversity within diversity. And um, how is that related to historical oppressive notions of, well, all black people are just the same. I'm not saying that that was necessarily the intent behind Um, the African-American experience, but I also offer um, that there might be more than just one experience. And so that really was um, the first kind of the seedling notion of DNA Works. DNA Works has since um, developed programming outside of uh, looking at mixed heritage identities, but that certainly was kind of the impetus for um, starting DNA Works. I see. And was that solo work about your almost like your DNA part of DNA works. Yes, uh, Daniel Banks and I created a work called Hamapa the Map. Um, Hamapa is a Hebrew word that means the map or the tablecloth. Uh, it's also a, um, a commentary uh, written by Rabbi Moshe Israelis, who's uh, uh, an ancestor. Uh, And it was really an opportunity to uh, share my ancestors' stories. And it was in direct response to this question, what are you? Uh Uh-huh. person, I often receive that question, well, you know, what are you? And (laughs) as an artist, I had to figure out ways to... Um, engage people in a conversation that made sense for me Uh um, and that empowered me inside of that conversation. And so I decided to tell my ancestor stories rather than to say, well, my dad's black and my mom's white, which is shorthand and doesn't necessarily describe my full experience nor theirs in this society. I decided to share the stories of my ancestors on my mother's side and my father's side um, as a way to bring worlds together. And it's so interesting that I'm making uh, and engaging this action because that is part of the last section uh, in the work. So oh. yes, Hamapa the first um, production that DNA Works uh, produced in um, in 2010. And I'm still touring the work. I, I dance in it and I still tour it. And uh, every time I perform it, I, I find both, you know, just kind of choreographically and physically, I find 
new nuances, but also as I gain more information about my family, I'm finding that that those pieces of information inform my physical engagement with the work. Uh, So that's also really exciting to think about and dance about. That's really, I I have actually just now um, sort of gotten really into the idea of just like repetition because repet like it's it's never the same there isn't is there never like a real true repetition and works like these that are truly like cohesive parts of you and holistic way of thinking about you and your work as an artist and person i mean it's never the same or never it's never the repetition so i love that yeah when I danced with um, Alonzo's company, Lines Ballet, I just remember him saying that your performance should never be the same. You are you are never the same. In fact, when we started this conversation, Silva, we were different people. <laughs> Our bodies regenerate so that repetition actually might not ever be repetition it is it is and we are always new it's like deborah hayes it's here and gone it's here and gone absolutely gone yeah so that that's really interesting that you keep on um working with this piece that started eight years ago and still performing it and and the idea of the sort of almost like an accumulation of knowledge and history and changing it i love that i would love to you know i watched the solo from a video i think from 2010 uh, before interviewing you and i would love to see it now i would love to see where it has gone in eight years i'd love to share that with you i'd also just like to mention that it's also a way to summon um lives that have that are gone um and to kind of bring together uh, history and to bring historical notions of the self um, to the present because I am only the people who came before me and I'm not now (laughs) and I was, you know? Yes. To think about. And, you know, as my nieces and nephews get older, you know, I have a niece going to college uh, next fall. Um, they're now more interested in uh, thinking about who they are in relationship to their ancestors. And so to be able to share this information with them and meet, and in meeting new family, it's just really exciting to um, have this physical document and to keep adding on to it. Um, I just find that fascinating and and wonderfully comforting. Yeah, and it, and to what I have been able to gather about you, your family is very large, right? You have a, I have a big family. Yeah, you have a big family, so there's a lot of layers in there. And then, um, but DNA works. You went? Did you go to Africa as well? Because you are like hosting workshops and doing all kinds of work uh, with with DNA Works now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, DNA Works has traveled, I think, to 12 or 13 different countries uh, doing our work around arts and healing. 
Um, and on the continent of Africa, uh, we were in Ghana, uh, leading work at the University of Ghana Legon and then with other arts organizations uh, there. Um, we led a film uh, project, an oral, a filmed oral history project with a Ghanaian Jewish community in Sefri Yoso, Ghana. Um, we were also Culture Connect envoys uh, through the U.S. embassies in um, Johannesburg and Cape Town and Pretoria. Um, and in all those places, just kind of serendipitously, we connect with theater-based organizations and dance organizations uh, and choreograph and uh, create theater and dance. Um, and, you know, it's been also been interesting to think about the intersection between um, government and politics and the arts because most of the international locations that we've traveled to as DNA works, we also are engaged by uh, the U.S. government in these respective locations and U.S. embassies. So thinking about kind of the responsibility of governmental entities to uh, support artists um, and to engage local communities uh, through art making. Um, I was in Rwanda in January looking at the effects of uh, the Rwandan genocide against Tutsis um, and looking at how dance uh, can respond to the effects, mostly PTSD, but even to compartmentalize uh, people's experiences as PTSD might not be completely accurate. Um, but to, to look at how dance is used to heal, uh, and particularly connecting with uh, Godaliv Mukasarasi of a women's organization called Savota, who uses dance and music and agribusiness uh, and other means to, um, through this grassroots notion of um, healing. So yeah, we've been all over um, doing this work and I would say that the one thing that I, um, that I take away most from these experiences is, well, I'll, I'll have to say a couple of things. <laughs> that um, I think dance um, reminds us that we're not alone that we are able to communicate because we have moving bodies and we're able to communicate deeply felt emotions and deeply philosophical ideas through moving. And I'll add together. <laughs> um, that's one thing. Another thing is you know, looking at dance through a social justice lens, um, that is, how can I use my power and privilege as a male American? And I will, in this notion and in this way, identify my whiteness, because when I go to other countries, I'm identified as white. However, in the United States, because of phenotype, 
and history of racism, I, of course, would not be, or who knows. When I was pulled over when I was 16 years old, they wrote white on the ticket. So, you know, I, I'm not quite sure, but how can I use <laughs> my, uh, my male privilege and position to be utterly submissive in uh, as a dance practice? while engaging international communities. And I think about this in the ballet classroom when I'm mostly teaching female bodies and asking them to move their bodies in particular ways and to move their legs uh, in unnatural and somewhat unnatural (laughs) ways. And I ask this, I try to ask that question all the time as a dance practice. And so that means that I have to be aware and almost dancing and meditating uh, all the time. Um, And I'm excited by that. And it's a little bit scary, but um, I'm I'm an optimist in terms of um, thinking about um, social change. Yeah, and you know, talking about um, social change and and dancing and how it changes and unites us. You know, I used to live in South Africa, and um, I remember when we arrived there to the airport, there were this huge, like maybe thirty-five people dancing and singing to welcome us, and. When you come here to the airport, there's a one man standing with a, your name, like a very, like that, the idea of just like welcome was so different. And then learning like you dance when you're happy, you dance when you're sad, you dance when you're stressed, you dance when you're wanting to heal, you dance when you're um, depressed, you dance, you know, like the da- dance and moving body is just for everybody, all the time, for everything. And that was a wonderful thing to be part of. Where where were you in South Africa? So I was six months in a tiny village in, uh, in Limpopo province, in the northern province. And then I was eight months in Cape Town um, and worked in one of the townships. And what were you doing? Uh, so I was researching the dance, how it is part of the everyday life for every person and every community. And um, I was also teaching PE in schools. Of course, just the way in to get. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, and then I went back actually a year later for three months and did this project. I worked with the integrated dance company called Remix in Cape Town. And I did yeah. this, um, yeah. And I did this project where we had girls from three different townships, and we worked three weeks for each weekday with them in their own townships. And then we sort of put everybody's name in the hat and pulled five names for each community and brought them together into a fourth township, with the idea of like, there's almost these tribal you know, wars between townships. So really talking about like, let's get to know each other. Let's do something together. 
Uh, and the girls made these very strong relationships. And so then we worked for another three weeks with the 15 girls from each three from each three different townships and we created a performance then that then was performed where we had buses to bring people from each township and the girls performed then we had little um pride for everybody and then uh there was social dancing so it was really with the so the idea of oh and for the girls it was like how can you be powerful you are powerful through dance and movement and you can say no and you can say yes and like that these are your tools so um really about the bringing the communities together and empowering the girls was the main focuses of, of that project when when was it uh 2001 to 2003 yeah yeah and, you know, I haven't been back ever since, but uh, part of my heart is definitely there. Yeah, I understand that. Uh, it reminds me of um, a block party that I held the space for. Again, right, like, how can I not be, how can I not use my privilege to overpower a situation? But I, Daniel and I, uh, as DNA Works, held the space for a, block party in South Africa in a colored township called Atlantis outside Cape Town. You may have heard of it. Yeah. Um, and it, it was so telling when the moment we walked up, I saw a young person stab another person with a screwdriver. Um, and it was just kind of like uh, scary, unexpected, and a metaphor, a very small metaphor for you know, the ways in which this particular community functions. Um, and so we held a dance party in the streets during this block party. It started with um, a workshop whereby we had art making and then we pasted the art to the van and drove the van around the township. We had a parade. We had a day-long workshop that ended in this parade and dance party. We got electricity from someone's house. We got speakers from someone's house. We brought the mats from the rec center. Uh, and it was just an opportunity to uh, come together as a community and perform. There were young people, you know, younger than two and old people older than 80 and 90. And um, we had a kind of a youth summit whereby young people got to identify problems in their communities and offer solutions uh, to their communities. And we have a contact person who lives outside of Atlantis who shared with us that there was one young woman who decided to get her community off of drugs and alcohol. And she's still working in that capacity some, you know, more than 10 years later. So, you know, there's something there about a couple things. Uh, opportunity, that there are opportunities everywhere. And two, that we don't even necessarily have to work internationally as Amer as an American artist. I don't have to go and do work in Africa when there are young people around the block who are suffering just as much. Um, so 
right? So there's that that notion of exoticizing the other and exoticizing Africa mm, and mm. so saying the own issues in our own communities. And that has everything to do with racism um, in America. Yeah. Another yeah. thing that I'm on right now um, is uh, uh, some research on lynching. There was a lynching here in Fort Worth, Texas on December 12th, 1921. The man's name was Fred Rouse, R-O-U-S-E. And um, this lynching is fairly unknown here in Fort Worth. No one is talking about it. Um, there are one or two or three uh, researchers who mainly have not come up with um, any real information as to um, what happened to the family, uh, Fred Rouse's family, um, as well as to, you know, the, the socioeconomic and sociopolitical effects of lynching in Fort Worth. There's no uh, marker. There's been no marker erected at the site. Um, and this story is um, mainly unknown. And so as an artist, I have decided to um, take lead on uh, identifying uh, the location and marking the location uh, and making known the history and also figure out um, how to do some sort of performance intervention. Uh, and I'm citing Pearl Primus and other artists who have created work on lynching. Um, I hope to go to the lynching memorial in Montgomery, Alabama this summer. Uh, I'll be in, uh, in Forest City, Arkansas, doing some research uh, on Hamapa, and we're developing Hamapa now into a dance film, going to ancestral locations. We were in Poland and Montana last summer, and we're going to Benin, uh, West Africa in the winter, and now Arkansas and St. Louis, and dancing this the story of genealogy in these locations and working with an amazing, amazing, amazing uh, film director, Laura Bustios Labu, uh, and Daniel is dramaturg and directing. And uh, I'm really excited about that. That sounds amazing. You know, I was three months working in Benin as well in 2004, three. Are we the same? <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, if you need any tips, let me know. I'm on it. We're definitely going to talk after this little session. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That sounds amazing. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm excited both about this lynching project and about the development of Hamapa, that it will continue uh, to live and function and have meaning. Yeah, but you know, you were talking about we don't have to go somewhere. You definitely, you, you know, you, what is the saying? You preach as you do. What is the saying? Now I lost it. Walk the talk? Well, you walk the talk because you work with the veterans that are moving beyond battlefield with the Lake Arts Project. So, yeah, you definitely talking walking the talk not not only talking the talk yes i was approached by jennifer miller and carl von robinow who have 
an arts project called Lake Arts Project in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We danced together um, as members of Milwaukee Ballet Company. And they were approached by Nancy Smith uh, Watson of Feast of Crispian. Feast of Crispian is an organization that uh, supports uh, post-deployment uh, veterans in um, using the performance of Shakespeare to access uh, emotional states that are non-personal. So, for example, I'm um, performing Othello and I'm working on anger, on Othello's anger, and I'm able to access the feeling of being angry without it being associated with a personal experience that I might be angry about. Uh, so their work in and of itself is absolutely amazing and inspiring. Uh, Feast of Crispian is working with Lake's, Lake Arts Project to support veterans in using dance as another modality through which they might um, meet their feelings. Uh, and so Lake Arts Project reached out to me to create a work for uh, veterans uh, and dancing civilians. Um, and so my work, which is called Two Shining Sea, spelled S-E-E, -E, uh, will be premiered this weekend, just in uh, three days from now. Uh, and that process has been absolutely amazing. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example if I yes, may. Yes, yes, please. There's a male veteran. Uh, so the, the whole process kind of started with telling stories um, and asking veterans and civilians to share stories uh, about a specific event that might have been life altering. Um, and in doing so, created kind of a natural connection um, between two seemingly separate groups. Um, after after um, sharing stories, um, high school uh, students came in and began to write poetry based on the stories that they heard. Um, those poems are uh, were then turned into terms of, and I'll speak for myself in my case, uh, were translated into a choreographic language that will then be performed. And as, uh, as part of Two Shining Sea, that is the last section. Um, we continued the storytelling process and community building process. And um, the stories that came out were then translated into a choreographic vocabulary. I took that voc vocabulary and created um, this dance to Shining Sea that has morphed from my original idea as all art and dance, I believe, does. Um, there was a story that was meaningful whereby one veteran um, was charged with traveling to a European country. And when he got there, he noticed that at his um, camp, that local girls were being sexually assaulted and raped. So in effect, it was what he called a rape camp. Ooh. And he, as he told the story, he began to 
cry and to shake. And so I asked him to um, physicalize um, the feeling. And he performed the, the action. And we were, I was with three young dancers, 15, 16, 17. And I asked them to perform back to him what they saw. And in doing so, it brought up even more feelings. It was like that something was, you know, there was something just moving in him. And he began to, um, and I think this language of losing it, I mean, what does one lose? And in fact, I think by accessing our emotions, we actually gain more of ourselves. So he, he, he just was fully enveloped in his feelings and I asked him to continue to move that moving and dancing was actually allowing the feelings to come and leave so that he wouldn't be haunted and as we look at PTSD in direct relation to veterans there's a sense of haunting of experiences so that by dancing I offered that he might no longer be haunted by the both, I wouldn't say the memories, because the memories, of course, will always remain, but the emotions connected to the memories, that that, that neurological connection might lose itself. Um, and so that movement that he performed, and I don't know if you can see the tingles on my arm oh, right I can. now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Your hair is... But the movement... Oh. Yeah, I'm alive. <laughs> the movement that he performed um, in that rehearsal um, is represented in this work. And that is true for all of the movement that is represented in this work. That it is not because, oh, I just felt like, you know, doing a rond de jambe right there, but um, there is meaning there. It's we are performing symbols. And in, in terms of working with younger dancers, um, I feel like that is an opportunity for them to create their own meaning in performance. And that I'm, it's not just I'm doing a double pirouette because that's what I feel like I can do well. But what is wrapped up in the twirling spiral? How is that connected to another area of your life? How is that connected to, you know, your relationship with this particular veteran right now with whom you're holding hands? And I've asked you to do a, an arabesque that pushes. Um, so, yes, uh, To Shining Sea is part, is a piece that is a part of an evening called Moving Beyond the Battlefield that will be premiered this weekend in Milwaukee, Wisconsin at DanceWorks. Um uh, and it's a, it's a Lake Arts Project project. And Lake Arts Project is going to be uh, leading this work in New York State and upstate New York uh, this summer. And moving beyond the battlefield will continue, not only given its popularity, but I think given its um, natural sensibilities of um, bringing people together and providing community as a resource and not only to the veterans, but to everyone, mm, mm. right? That's too. I think as dancers, there's a way that 
our training um, creates isolation. And so how can we continue to share all of our experiences um, outside of, you know, the, the four walls of the studio, the six walls of the studio? Oh, my gosh. And I'm, I'm still hanging on to the, the image of the dancers gifting back his movement to him like that. I don't know. Just like I can feel it in my body. Like what a gift to be able to then observe and being given that gift of your movement back to you. Oh, that. Oh. And right, these are young dancers. These are, you know, I don't know that I could have done that as a 15 year old person to be, to understand the importance of that moment. And, you know, so those young dancers shared with me personally um, the importance of that moment and the power of dance um, and what dance can do because we knew in that moment that dance was a part of a changing. Um, and of course, dance wasn't the only thing. Yeah, yeah. Right? There are so, so many things happening in that moment. But, but dance was a part of that. Dance is what brought us together. Dance was the reflection. Dance was the emotion. Dance was the celebration. Um, and it was powerful. And like that entire cycle of sort of the students observing this happening and for him to feel so witnessed that they can gift back that to him and the role sort of reverse. Like, I don't know, there's something so powerful about that circle that I can't, I don't even know what to say. Yeah. Like that whole process and the circle of, being observed and being witnessed and then witness the observation that happened. I don't know, like, I can't quite put it in words, but that seems so powerful. I think I understand you. And it was powerful. It was one of those moments that I will always remember. Yeah. Huh. Well, with all of this, oh my gosh. So now you are a professor at TCU. Yeah. <laughs> you, did you just recently start or how long you been there? I uh, have just completed my second year. In fact, I just put in my grades today. So it is finally done with the second year. Um, and I'm on ballet faculty and modern faculty. I have one of... Uh, well, you came. You were a guest artist in uh, one of my classes last semester. Yes. <laughs> uh, and students are still remember how um, how important that class was, and I think it's part of this conversation, Silva, into um, what does a dancing body look like? Mm -hmm. uh, who can dance and who gets to dance? Um, but also, um, what can dance be for you? And that it, it doesn't look like one thing, that in fact dance looks like everything. 
just as the world looks like everything, so does dance look like everything. Uh, and so, you know, so thanks for inspiring um, the students at TCU. You're welcome. It was my pleasure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, I'm really excited to be there. Some really talented students and students who are um, engaging some really exciting research. Um, and so it's a pleasure to be involved. So I feel like this is very important, Raul. And I'm so glad that you are there because I feel like you're shaping the future of the field. And in my opinion, we need to open up the idea who is a dancer, who can dance, what does it look like? And that it is not just a one narrow idea, that it is very wide. And I'm so glad that you're an educator in this field. I'm so lucky, you know, dance education positions uh, are few and far between those that, you know, one can be compensated for in some real ways. I won't say real ways, but <laughs> in middle. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, yeah, I'm really excited. Um, I'm really excited by it. And I work with an amazing group of colleagues. Um, and at the same time, yeah. And at the same time, it's, um, I still teach fifth position and the importance of rotation and the importance of dedication when your arms are in fifth on O, right? So it's, it's about translating, for me, um, the criteria of classical ballet and translating that to other areas. So for example, when I'm teaching my community and dance course, which I'll be proposing hopefully this next year, um, we won't necessarily go in and say, okay, uh, we're gonna come in and teach a ballet class because of its uh, kind of socioeconomic and historical um, understandings. That might not be the best thing to engage. However, how can you use the discipline and the fun and the rotation, the community-based um, thinking in a ballet class to inform the ways in which you might be holding the space for a community dance class? And so for me as a dancer and as a choreographer um, and as an artist, it, it, it is ballet. Absolutely. That's my training. Mm -hmm. It is modern dance. Of course, it's my training. And it also is... I don't want to use the A word, access. It's about offering equal opportunities for everyone to apply their hearts and their minds to their moving bodies. Um, and so I, I, I'm i just saying that mainly for myself, you know, saying that out loud <laughs> for myself, the importance that it is all of my training, it is all of our training that brings us to our present moments, right? And it is not now at the same time. 
you know, I'm actually very glad to talk to you about this because I come from, you know, I was like told at 16, like, you will never be a ballerina. You're too fat, too short, too this, too that. And that was all that I ever wanted to. So it was like the rug taken out of uh, underneath my feet. So then I rebelled, of course, after I found out, well, no, I can still be in the field. Um, I rebelled against ballet for a long, long time. And I'm so glad to hear you speak about it because it is an important part of dance, an import, important part of dance history and hopefully future. Um, but it cannot be all. So I'm, I'm, I love the way you talk about dance and ballet and, and I find it very complicated where for like, where does it fit in there? Like, but I'm sure like, I know it does and we can and it needs to, but I'm, I'm grateful that you talked about it. And it's like, you know, why does ballet take up more space than West African dance in university curriculums? And what does that have to do with white privilege? Well, okay, that's a very good point. Thank you. That is a, that is a very good point. Yeah. Yeah. So... I mean, especially, you know, as we continue to question everything, and especially right now, I think that we also get to question the field. Mm -hmm. And it's our responsibility as artists to do that. Like, I'm, I'm an artist to ask questions. Rarely do I have an answer. <laughs> and sometimes I have to. Yeah. But I think we also have to question the field. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, and I think that that's what my, that's what my current research is doing mm -hmm. uh, to what can dance do. So what is, what is Adam, your dream, your ultimate dream? In dance. In dance, for now. <laughs> you know, you emailed me that question, and uh, I don't know that I have an answer. I feel Only like you're living it. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I continue to ask questions. I, You know, when I started dance, I'll tell you a quick story. Yes. When I started to dance, I got a book. The book was uh, photographs of the Alvin Ailey American Theater by Jack Mitchell from like the early 90s. And I saw it and I knew that that's what I wanted to do so much so that I cut my face out <laughs> and put it on dancers' bodies. So embarrassing. But it was like, it was a, it was a, a vision book, a vision board, you know, that I created. And so I, so that was my dream. 
And, you know, however many years later, 15 years later, there I was. And so, and so we get to continue to up the bar of what we dream about because it, it can happen and it does happen. And so in answer to your question, what is my dance dream? I, w- I think I want to continue um, traveling internationally um, and sharing dance and using dance to learn more about me and in turn more about learn more about other people. Um, I, I think I want to direct. I think I want to direct uh, and lead um, in big, audacious um, ways. Uh, so I don't know necessarily what that looks like, um, but I know that that I think I have something to share there and I'm excited about the possibilities in that direction. That's a perfect dream. Yeah. And so do what's your dream? What's my dream? Yeah. My dream is to see dance education advance to the point where a person with disability can go to college and get a degree in dance. That a person with disability will have a trajectory and the same opportunity from a child on than I had to love and practice dance to the ultimate to be a professional. There is no college right now, to my knowledge. If I'm wrong, anybody in the in the listening audience, if I'm wrong and you're a college in the U.S. and you accept people with disabilities, please email silva, S-I-L-V-A, at keshed, K-E-S-H-E-T, arts, A-R-T-I-S, dot org, to tell me that we do. Great. Let me know how I can support you. Oh, you can. I'm doing a research right now, and TCU is part of the research, so I will be getting. And I'm presenting. Um, I'm doing it with a colleague here at Keshet, and I'm presenting the paper at NDO in San Diego. Okay. Yeah, I know Nina Martin will be there, so yeah, uh, I will hear that she uh, reports back. Yeah, yeah. Nina and I um, are going together, and hopefully, also presenting part of her work with us there. So that that is my right now my big big dream. I would love to see that coming. Thank you so much, Adam. What a what a what a privilege to get to talk to you. I'm so inspired by everything you're doing. Thanks for uh, offering an opportunity to let me share the airwaves and share a little bit about my story. Thank you.